So Nehemiah chapter 13, we begin at the first verse. This is God's holy word. On that day, the book of Moses was read aloud in the hearing of the people. And there it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever be admitted into the assembly of God, because they had not met the Israelites with food and water, but had hired Balaam to call a curse down on them. Our God, however, turned the curse into a blessing. When the people heard this law, they excluded from Israel all who were of foreign descent. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. We've come to chapter 13 in our uh, preaching through the book of Nehemiah. And before we go on to the particulars of this chapter, we want to look particularly at the first three verses, and specifically the last part of verse 2. A wonderful saying there, tucked away in God's Word, that reflects the whole of Scripture, really, and the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, friends, in the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ, the last book of the Bible, John saw the glory of the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem. And one of the wonderful descriptions of the heavenly Jerusalem is in these words, Revelation 22, verse 3, and there shall be no more curse. There shall be no more curse. You know that sin, Adam's sin, brought God's just and holy curse into the world. And all the misery of this fallen world is the thorns and thistles and the rotten fruit of the curse. The consequences of God's holy curse on sin. But in the new heavens and the new earth, no more curse. There will be no more sin. And so no more curse and no more misery. And what one day will be fully and completely true in all of its practical outworkings is already true, in a sense, in this life for the believer. No more curse. Romans 8, verse 1, There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is another example of the already and not yet reality of the Christian life. There is much that we already enjoy united to the Lord Jesus Christ. But there is much promised and spoken of in the Word of God that is for us who yet live in this world, not yet. Who hopes for what he already has? We long for his appearing. There is a great not yet in the Christian life, even as there is all uh, a glorious already. And the already and not yet are inextricably linked together 
and assured by the faithfulness of God in the covenant of grace in Christ for all his people. And we think along these lines this afternoon because here uh, we've come to Nehemiah chapter 13. There are some questions of the, the timing of this part of Nehemiah, the chronology of these verses. The timing of what is described is debated and some different views exist. But in general, chapter 13 is connected to a period of time when Nehemiah went back to the court of King Artaxerxes, and in that absence of Nehemiah, after 12 years of leadership, compare Nehemiah 2, verse 1, with chapter 13, verse 6. He was there for 12 years. Then he goes back, some time away, back in the court of King Artaxerxes, only to come back to find serious examples of disobedience. What previous generations to us in the Christian church would have called backsliding. Spiritual and practical declension in the lives of the people of God. And Lord willing, as we continue through this chapter, we're going to see the specific areas where the people of God fell back in their Christian lives, in their lives as the people of God. But for this afternoon, again, we want to look at just one part of the second verse that reads almost like a side comment, a parenthetical comment, but is such a beautiful, encouraging, challenging even, truth that we'll spend some time focusing on this afternoon. Look again at your Bibles, Nehemiah 13, verse 2. Speaking of the Ammonites, the Moabites, their exclusion from the people of God, and then the reason, verse 2. Because they had not met the Israelites with food and water, but had hired Balaam to call a curse down on them. And it's even put in parentheses, uh, in the New International Version, those, those aren't in the original. Our God, however, turned the curse into a blessing. Isn't it great that there are howevers in the Bible? It's like when we were in Ephesians and uh, when we read that we were dead in our sin and trespasses, by nature children of wrath. And then verse 4, but... God, but God made us alive with Christ. Well, here's a similar thing. However, however, one great reality to another, and in between, God's great however. This is obviously this, these words in the opening verses, part of the background to help us understand this chapter. But it also provides for us great hope in the light of the sins and disobedience of this chapter. For the church, what hope do we have when the church does sin, when the people of God do backslide, when we don't live up to our commitments and our promises? and our obligations. 
The way that the people of God in Nehemiah, you remember, under his leadership, had gotten themselves together and written out and signed their names to promises about how they'd live for God. And they don't. And we don't. And what hope do we have? What comfort is there for sinners like you and like me and like them? And there comes then this beautiful summary of the gospel, the heart of biblical Christianity. And focusing on these words by God's grace will be helpful to us in our Christian lives so that we will not sin. When we see the grace of this statement, it's calculated because God the Lord is our God and our Redeemer, that we obey His law, we remember His grace so that we will not sin, but then also so hopeful when we do sin, because that's just the reality of our lives as Christians in this world. It's the Romans 7 experience where we walk sadly in the footsteps of the Apostle Paul, He was sad about it. The good that I want to do, I don't do. And what I shouldn't do, that's what I do. Who will deliver me? This is just where we find ourselves every day, isn't it? Do not sin if you do sin. It's exactly what John wrote in 1 John My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. In this specific part of God's Word in Nehemiah chapter 13, this specific area of obedience and then disobedience had a context. You need to go back to Numbers chapters 20 through 24. It's mentioned here in Nehemiah 13, the refusal of the Ammonites and the Moabites to help the people of God. And then the whole account of Balak trying to get Balaam to curse the people of God. But you know the story, I trust. Balak's desire was frustrated because Balaam was constrained to only speak what the Lord allowed him to speak. Boys and girls, Balak wanted to see the Israelites cursed. But over and over and over again, what was pronounced was not a curse, but a blessing. Those are the two great realities in God's holy, moral universe after the fall. Blessing and cursing. Blessing for obedience. 
cursing for disobedience. This is also a spiritual dynamic for the church in the world. As we live as Christians in the world, we can understand a little bit. We experience in similar ways what the people of God experienced there with Balak. The world here represented by Balak at the instigation of the devil wants to see the church, the people of God, the cause of Christ, cursed. Jesus said, if they hated me, they'll hate you. The cause of Christ cursed and destroyed. As the church, as individual Christians. And so here is the encouraging good news. Out of this historical context in the lives of the people of God, The end of verse 2. There are the Moabites, the Ammonites, there's Balak. Our God, however, turned the curse into a blessing. Balak hired Balaam to call a curse down on them. Our God, however, turned the curse into a blessing. He does that in salvation. That's the summary of salvation. And he does it in providence. He does it in the history of the church, the history of the people of God. As we live in this world and face the opposition, the world, the flesh, and the devil. In salvation, in providence, this is what God has done. This is what he does. And this is what he will do. He will turn the curse into a blessing. In Numbers 23 and 24 especially, the context of this passage in Nehemiah 13, there are many truths that if you go back and look at those chapters, you can glean out of those chapters that tell you about the God who does this. Who is the God who does this? who turns a curse into a blessing. Numbers 23, 19, and 20. God is not a man that he should lie. Not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? I have received a command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot change it, said Balaam. As we think about the God who turns the curse into a blessing, who is this God? We need to look at God's veracity. He does not lie. And God's immutability. He does not change. His work is grounded in his character and being. Numbers 23, 23. There is no divination against Jacob, no evil omens against Israel. It will now be said of Jacob and of Israel, see what God has done. This speaks to us of God's sovereignty over all the affairs of people and nations. No one can thwart his purposes. If he turns a curse and decides to turn a curse into a blessing, it will be done. And no one can hold back his hand. 
there's an implication in these chapters also for the relationship of the world and the church. Numbers 24.9. Like a lion, they crouch and lie down. Like a lioness who dares to rouse them. May those who bless you be blessed and those who curse you be cursed. That harkens back to what the Lord had said to Abram in Genesis 12. Go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. There are the themes again. But God's warning to the world, don't touch the apple of my eye. Arrogant people and leaders and nations who think they can do what they would with the people of God. And in this language of blessing and cursing, God's warning comes, don't touch the apple of my eye. But we need to ask a fundamental question as we read these words. How can a holy God change curse into blessing? How can a holy God do that? If the curse is the holy and just wages of sin, the wages of sin is death. Well, it's, it's there tucked away in that story of Balaam, the account of Balaam. When in Numbers 24, 17, we read, I see him, him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab, the skulls of the people of Sheth. Edom will be conquered. Seir, his enemy, will be conquered, but Israel will go strong, grow strong. A ruler will come out of Jacob. A ruler will come out of Jacob. How does God turn curse into blessing? Those words of prophecy spoken by Balaam, in part, perhaps, are fulfilled by King David and other kings in Israel. But ultimately, they speak of Christ, and they point to the Lord Jesus Christ, the coming Messiah, in the days of Balaam and the days of Nehemiah. Haven't you already thought of Galatians 3.13? Christ redeemed us from what? The curse of the law. How? By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a pole. Hanged on a tree. That's how a holy God can bring blessing out of curse. doesn't compromise his holiness or his justice. It finds full expression in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, I cannot understand those in the church and some in our own country in the professing church who empty the cross of penal substitutionary atonement. 
who say, no, no, what Jesus was doing on the cross has nothing to do with the wrath of God, nothing to do with the penalty of sin. If you say that, it has nothing to do with Scripture. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. That's how curse can become blessing. And no other way. No other way. The curse of Christ on the cross. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The curse was laid on Christ so that blessing could come to us and we are blessed as the people of God. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Remember what Balaam said, Numbers 23, verse 8. How can I curse those whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce those whom the Lord has not denounced? Do you see your privilege and your blessing as a child of God? Numbers 23, verse 8. Sounds exactly like Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. In the book of Deuteronomy, when this same historical account is revisited, we read in Deuteronomy 23, 5, similar language. However, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but turned the curse into a blessing for you. But then Moses adds in Deuteronomy 23, 5, because the Lord your God loves you. The Lord your God loves you. That's why God turns curse into blessing for his people, because he's loved you with an everlasting love. In everlasting gospel love, God in Christ has turned the curse into blessing. Where are you this afternoon? Where are you this afternoon? There are only two places to be before a holy God. Under the curse or under his blessing. There are many blessings that everyone in this world receives from the hand of God. He makes the rain fall on the just and the unjust. But there will be no ultimate spiritual eternal blessing, but only greater accountability for those who have received those common grace blessings from God. Without thinking of God, 
without turning to God, returning to God. Curse or blessing. And the only true and lasting blessing is found in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Turning from sin, trusting Christ, and a a faith that is not just on your lips, but shows fruit in your life. That God has really changed your heart. You're walking with Him. Are you walking with Christ this afternoon? Even young ones can answer this. Are Are you sorry for your sin and are you trusting the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Is there good fruit in your life? I take no pleasure in saying to people, are you under God's curse? God's curse is horrific. But God himself in his word says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. We leave this, these doors here this afternoon either under curse or under blessing. And God knows where you are. God knows. I may not. Your parents may not. Your neighbors may not. But God does. God does. But what a gracious God He is and what a gracious Savior we have. Come unto me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Rest from what? Rest from the curse. Rest from the curse so that we may know His blessing. And if by His grace we are the people of God and we know that blessing in Jesus Christ, what is true in our justification is true as well as we live as Christians in this world. Because the church and Christians, to one degree or another, and in other countries they know it far better than we do, that we can face the curses and the attacks of the world. We also face the attacks of the devil. Zechariah 3, he appears as the accuser. As the accuser, say, look at him, look at her. What do they deserve? Curse. That's what they deserve. Look at their sin. You see, as a Christian, you can say, yes, I'm a sinner. But I'm looking to Jesus. And so you look to Jesus. The curse isn't the last word from the devil. The devil wants to be like Balak in your life. God turns the curse into a blessing. He has turned it. And in the world, to whatever degree we face the curses and the attacks of the Balaks in this world, that is not the highest word or the last word for the people of God. John 16, Jesus said, All this I've told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. We're getting closer to that time in our country. I'm not a prophet or a prophet's son. I don't know what God might do, will do, or what the timetable of these things are. But there is a recent survey, and I think I may have mentioned it to you already, where Canadians, many of them said that evangelical Christians, 
and militant Muslims are harmful to the Canadian society. Those are the two groups that people said they're dangerous. That's one step away, one small step away from people saying, well, then we'll get rid of them, and they do it in the service to their God. Jesus speaks of it. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. But I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. But if you know John 16, you know the last verse of that chapter. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. The Baleks will try to curse, but our God turns the curse into blessing. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That's what God does. The curses of the world don't stick to the people of God. For those God foreknew, it goes on in Romans 8, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's the goal of our predestination. That's what God is doing. And we need to remember that as we do face the persecution of the world, the opposition from the world, the curses that come on the church and on Christians. God will turn it into a blessing somehow, some way, and it might wait till heaven, but he will turn it into a blessing for you, for his church. But how are you to conduct yourself when those curses fall upon you? God works all things together for the good who love him or are called according to his purpose, who at the same time are being conformed to the image of Christ. And so you think about Christ when the curses came upon him from the world. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we may die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. You were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. God turns the curse into a blessing. And we have the strength, the spirit, and the example of Christ to endure those blessings in a Christian Christ-like way. What does that enable you to do? As we prepare ourselves in our country for increasing opposition from the world. And, and some of you have already experienced it at work or at school or from your neighbor. When you hear their curses, whatever form that takes, what does the Spirit of Christ enable you to do. Luke 6, 28, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. 
Romans 12, 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. 1 Corinthians 4, 12. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. 1 Peter 3, 9. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. It's all about cursing and blessing. At the heart of the gospel, in the providence of God for the church, and in the lives of the people of God, What a difference this great truth makes to be right with God, to encourage our obedience. I deserved a curse, and now I'm blessed. I want to follow God, to encourage obedience, to govern our interactions with those who hate Christ and his church. It's all here. The Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but turned the curse into a blessing for you, because the Lord your God loves you.